Well, good morning, everyone. Looks like a few of you know the drill. I'm going to have you stand up again uh, for the reading of God's Word. Uh, gotcha. Um, before I read God's Word, I just want to let you know that uh, some members in the church have already come up to me and said that if they couldn't afford Secret Church, that they would sponsor them. If truly, if you can't afford, because it's not about the money, it's about seeking His face. Amen? All right, let's read the Word. Exodus 34, verse 27 through 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, And the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded. The sons of Israel would see the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Dear God, thank you again for this moment, for your church, the assembling together of the body of Christ that you are the head of. Thank you for our brother Paul, again, for bringing the word this morning. Encourage him as he encourages us, and may your Holy Spirit, as it speaks with power through him, by the teaching of the Holy Spirit, the understanding of the Holy Spirit, that we too, indwelt by your Holy Spirit, would understand, be drawn more closer to you, and love you with all that we are. And we pray these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. If I wasn't excited enough about this passage of Scripture this morning, the hymns of praise and worship that we just sang made me even more excited. It was wonderful music, wasn't it? And how true those words are. We're going to see today that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. We'll see how that actually comes out from the New Testament, a passage that looks back at the passage that our brother Joe read for us in Exodus 34. Paul the Apostle actually references this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The last one that we sang, I sought the Lord. This is what we're trying to do now through God's Word, through looking into God's Word. We want to seek the Lord, but we can't really fully appreciate these closing verses of Exodus chapter 34 
without remembering how the previous chapter closed. Our brother David Aruda preached a powerful message from the closing verses of Exodus chapter 33. Remember what happened there. Moses had one request, one deep desire of his heart that he wanted more than anything else. He said to the Lord, show me your glory. God said to him, I'll show you my glory, but no one can see my face. The idea, Moses wanted a full revelation of God's glory. God says, no one can see my face and live. I'll show you my back. And he hides Moses in a crack in a rock, and he covers him with his hand, and he removes his hand after he passes by, and Moses sees the glory of the Lord from the Lord's back. A lesser glory than seeing his face. One might wonder, since God wants to be glorified by us, since he wants us to reflect his glory. We are, after all, created in his image. And he wants us to reflect that image, that glory properly. Why wouldn't God show Moses his face? He said, no one can live. But Paul, didn't John the apostle in Revelation chapter 1 hear a voice, and he turned, and he beheld the glorious Son of Man, Jesus Christ, and he fell at his feet as a dead man. And what did the Lord do? He raised him up. Couldn't the Lord do that with Moses? Couldn't the Lord do that with each one of his children? I'm sure he could. But does the revelation of God's glory Beyond what Moses was given, does it come at a price? In fact, when we think about Paul the Apostle, what does he say? That he was caught up to the third heaven, the very home and throne room of God. And he beheld things, glorious things. And as our brother David so eloquently preached last week, it is God that makes heaven what it is. It is God's holy glory that makes heaven glorious. Without God and Christ, heaven is no better than hell. Paul saw glorious things, a revelation of God's glory in some form. And he says this, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation that was given to me, Lest I exalt myself in sinful pride, he, I was given a thorn in the flesh. It came at a price. It would have come at a price to Moses. It would come at a price to you and I to see that degree of God's glory revealed. Let's just say for a moment, hypothetically, God did show us that glory without any thorn in the flesh and even without us exalting ourselves in pride, as Paul cautioned about. What would that do? We would see all his glory. We would see this aspect of his glory, that aspect of his glory, another aspect of his glory. What does it all mean? How does this aspect relate to that aspect? What part of that glory should be seen in me as a reflection? How do I reflect that glory? When? Should I reflect that glory? There's all these questions that are not answered by seeing God's glory. God had something better 
in mind for Moses than seeing the fullness of his glory. And do you know what that was? It was not Exodus 33, it's Exodus 34. Our brother Joe read for us, 40 days and 40 nights, he was on the mountain with God, hearing God speak. It was God's word, not a vision of God's glory that God had in store for Moses. Effectively, in hearing God's word, it was as if he had seen God's glory. The words answer the questions. When? How? Why? The words answer that. Hearing God's words answers that. Those words are recorded in the Bible, the word of God. But Paul, wasn't it more that Moses was in God's presence? Well, that's true, he was. But he was in God's presence in Exodus 33, as well as in Exodus 34. He saw God's glory in Exodus 33. He heard God's word in Exodus 34. He was in God's presence both times. When did his face shine? It was not after seeing God's glory. It was after hearing God's word. The title of today's message is The Lord's Word is Glorious. This passage is not so much about Moses' face shining. This passage is about primarily God speaking and Moses speaking with God and hearing God reply. Certainly, the shining face is an important detail in the account. But more important is what we see repeated again and again and again. This is the final chapter in relating the covenant to Moses. The rest of Exodus will explain more about the covenant that God had revealed to Moses by the end of this chapter, chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, write down these words with these words. He doesn't tell him, describe what my glory looked like. With these words, I have made a covenant. We learned those were the Ten Commandments and God's moral law in previous messages. Moses wrote the words of the covenant. His face shone because of his beholding him, seeing him in chapter 33. No, because of his speaking with him. We're told so clearly why Moses' face shown. He commanded them to do what the Lord had spoken, the words of the covenant. Moses went in to speak with Yahweh, with him. Moses went in to speak with him. Clearly, this passage is more about God's words than it is about Moses' face shining. The Lord is revealed in his covenantal word that imparts his glory to those who spend time with him. This is how God is revealed in these verses that our brother Joe read for us. God is revealed in the words of the covenant, his covenantal word that imparts glory to those who spend time with the Lord in his word. If you take one thing away from this morning's message, let it be this. The Lord wants you to spend time in his word if you want to shine for him. There's no getting around it. I've got to preach what's in the passage, what the Holy Spirit inspired. And this is what comes out. If we are to be like Moses, if Moses is to be an example for us in some way, it's not by striking down an Egyptian and slaying him with your fist. 
This would be more it. The Lord wants you to spend time in his word if you want to shine. Shine spiritually. Obviously, not your face like Moses. There are spiritual lessons we glean from this passage. We're going to look at this passage under two headings. It breaks down very neatly into two parts. The importance of the Lord's word, words we will see in verses 27 and 28. And then the effect of the Lord's words. What effect did they have on Moses? And what effect should they have upon us? So let's get right into it and see five different ways the importance of the Lord's words comes out. The Lord's words are so important that you should do all that you can to remember them. Then the Lord said, write down these words. You know, this ancient culture, like many, many ancient cultures, even some third world cultures today, they rely on telling stories. They don't have a written language. The ancient Israelites told stories. There would be at least two generations of storytellers that would make sure that when the youngest generation told a story in the evening, in some gathering, that the story was told accurately. The oral stories were accurate. But the Lord said, write down these words. Do even more to ensure the accuracy of everything that I am telling you. Write them down. They have been written down in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we have them. For you and I, the Lord's words are so, are so important that we should do all that we can to remember them. We do it by reading God's word. You can do it by memorizing God's word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word I have hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. Well, memorization puts it in the mind. But praying over it, pondering it, praying it back to God, that's what moves it from our head to our heart. Do everything you can to remember God's word. If it means writing them out in flashcards to memorize them or to read over important verses that, that speak powerfully to you in your situation in life, write them down. Type them up and print it out if you prefer to use something electronic. But the act of writing does help. Do all that you can. His word is so important. Do all that you can to remember them. They are what will help you during the trials of life. They will help you in making difficult decisions. The Lord's words are so important that your relationship with him depends upon these words. The Lord said, for in, in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you. They broke that covenant in chapter 32 with the golden calf. The Lord forgives them and is going to remake that covenant with them again. Our relationship depends upon the words of the new covenant in Christ's blood. When we trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, bearing the sins of the world in his body, shedding his blood and dying, undergoing the wrath and judgment of his Holy Father. When, the word, when we enter into the words of these covenants, we enter this covenant, this new covenant in Christ's blood, we enter into a new relationship with God. But day by day, our childlike relationship with our loving Heavenly Father depends upon obedience to the words of these covenant, of this new covenant. The word of God is very clear. Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In Isaiah 59, 2, 
Your sins have made a separation between you and your God so that he does not hear. These are people who are in a covenant relationship, and yet God doesn't hear their prayers because of sin. Our relationship, moment by moment, depends upon the words of this covenant, our understanding of them and our obedience to them. The Lord's words are so important for you to experience his presence. So he was there with the Lord. And he wasn't there in some pose going, um, Yahweh. No, he wrote on the tablet the words of the covenant. It's connected with being with the Lord. It's not just some silent meditation. It's not just praying. There's more. The Word of God is intimately involved with truly being with God and experiencing His presence. They're so important. You will not experience all of the presence of God that He wants you to apart from being in the Word of God. This is not an academic thing. I'm not just talking about knowing. I'm talking about desiring obedience to God's word, to know him, to follow Christ in all ways, to be made like him. The words of the Lord are so important that you should spend much time in them. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and he wrote the words of the covenant. What was he doing during those 40 days and 40 nights? I don't know if he slept, because it says 40 nights. Was he writing the whole time? Look, he went without food and water. Remember, this is a desert climate. It's hot. It's low humidity. I mean, he's losing, you know, a lot of uh, body moisture through sweat. But he didn't drink. I don't even know if he slept. If he didn't need to drink for 40 days, maybe he didn't sleep either. The point is not that you and I should go without food for 40 days and 40 nights, or water, or try to go without sleep. It's that he spent much time in the words of the covenant, in the words of God. You know, I've talked to people who, who've said to me over the last 50 years of being a Christian, I, I, people have said to me from time to time, you know, Paul, I'm just not experiencing God in my life. You know, he just doesn't seem very real to me. He seems so distant. Why is that? And I'll ask them, you know, are you praying and talking to the Lord? Oh, yes, yes, I pray. I ask him every day for everything I need. Well, do you ever praise him and and worship him? Well, no, they're too busy asking for things. That's important. No one should ever tell you, don't call upon God for your needs. And then I'll ask them, do you read God's word? Do you spend time in God's word? And some of them will say to me, oh, yes, I read the daily bread every day. It's right there in the bathroom. And what I think at that point is, and I don't say this, but I think this. Do your ears hear what your mouth is saying? This is the time that you give God in his word? I won't say more about that. God's word is so important that you should spend much time in them. How much is much? I'm not going to say. What's much for me? Look, I need a lot of help from God. I need a lot of sanctification. I spend a lot of time in God's word. You probably need less. Whatever much is for you, spend it. Spend it. I will tell you what is not much. Having the daily bread in the bathroom, that is not much. 
something more than that is much for you. The Lord's words are so important that they should be a priority in your life. He was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. He wrote the words of the covenant. That was the priority. What does Job say in Job 23? I think it might be verse 12. I never memorize the verse numbers. If they, they stick, they stick. You know, people ask me, uh, you know, wh where does God say this in his word? Well, I'll say Job 23. Yeah, which verse? Read the whole chapter. It'll do you good. It does me good to read the whole chapter. You'll get the context. He says, I have esteemed his word more than my daily food. He remembered what Moses would say. It's the same lesson. Moses would write it after Job having his life on the earth. But it's the same idea. Is it just an Old Testament thing? After the Lord's baptism, what happened? We read the Holy Spirit carried him away into the wilderness, and he was there 40 days and 40 nights without bread and water. And at the end of the 40 days, Satan came to him and said, I got a good idea for you. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? I mean, you know, you got to be hungry. I mean, you're tightening your belt a little more. And the Lord said to him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not just an Old Testament truth. Our Lord himself said it. They should be a priority in your life. The effect of the Lord's words. What effect did the Lord's words, those 40 days and 40 nights of hearing the word of the Lord writing down the word of the Lord, what was the effect on Moses? I would like to submit to you that these eight effects that we're going to look at will all be true of every one of us if we make God's word a priority in our life and we spend much time in God's word. The first effect of the Lord's words is that his words will make you shine for him. When Moses was coming down, the two tablets of the testimony of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, were in Moses' hand. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. Moses, even when he left God's presence there on Mount Sinai, took with him God's word. He kept God's word close. God's word wasn't just for a special time in the morning or in the evening, his quiet time. Moses kept God's word with him throughout the day. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. There's a word picture here which is intended as an object lesson. In the Hebrew... It doesn't say his face shone. I'm going to tell you literally what the Hebrew says. And you're going to be shocked by it, and you're going to have questions about it. And I'll try to answer those. Literally, it says, the skin of his face sent out horns. That's what the Hebrew says. See, Hebrew is a very picturesque language. When it says the anger of the Lord... It's the big nose of the Lord or the big nostrils of the Lord. The anger of the Lord burned against. It's that kind of picture. Uh, apple of the eye is most often the daughter of his eye or the little daughter of his eye. I remember when my daughter was five years old and we had a big L-shaped sectional in the living room. And I was at one end reading the Bible, and she was on the other end playing. Suddenly, she gets up, she runs around on top of the sectional. She only weighed about 32 pounds at five years old. She was pretty small. And she grabs me around the neck and gives me a, a kiss and bounces uh, down onto her knees. And I turn and I look at her, and she says, Daddy, I can see myself in your eye. 
Why? She was the little daughter in my eye because I was looking at her and she was looking at me. That's the only way that can happen. God looks at you. You look at God. You're the little daughter of his eye, the apple of his eye, as it's sometimes translated. But literally, it's the daughter or little daughter of his eye. See, they have these beautiful word pictures. I mean, we have some word pictures in English. I mean, think about a carpenter, a skilled carpenter. I've watched them. You know, nails. Set it, boom! It's all the way in. They drive a nail with one strike of a one-pound hammer. Me, they fly all over. You know, or I hit my thumb, or it's... One strike. A carpenter can drive a nail with one strike of his hammer, but a woman will never call a carpenter to do her nails. See, nails are used differently. Or if you're a Bruins fan, you don't want a carpenter, you want a defenseman to nail that wing into the boards. Check him into the boards. Nail him good so he can't pass to the center. We use words in different ways. Hebrew does as well. Do you know when Michelangelo made a sculpture of Moses in the Sistine Chapel? You know what he did? He put little horns, two horns, on Moses' head. You can Google it and check it and see. The skin of his face sent out horns. Not his head, the skin of his face. God is making a point here. They cast a golden calf that had horns. Oh, but Paul, it was a calf. Yeah, but did you know at two months, the, uh, the horn knobs bind to the skull and the horns start to grow? A calf doesn't reach maturity until two years old. It has horns if they're not dehorned. That golden calf would have had horns. Still a calf, not yet an adult, but still had horns. God could have said Moses' face was like the sun. He could have said that in Hebrew. Instead, he said, the skin of his face sent out horns as an object lesson. God, and, and idolatry gets it all backwards. God doesn't want us gazing at shining things. He wants you to shine for him. God doesn't want you to see your reflection in idols. Idols always are a reflection of the heart of man, what we desire, what we value. God does not want you to see your reflection in idols. He wants to see his face reflected in you. God doesn't want us to make him in our image. He created us in his image, and he wants to conform us into the image of Christ. Idolatry gets it backwards. That golden calf that he reminds them of with Moses's, the skin of Moses' face shot out horns, beams. The word in this context can be translated beams or rays of light. It is in other passages in the Old Testament. It doesn't just mean literal horns like what a bull might have. It also means rays or beams of light. God wants you and I to shine for him. The effect of his words will make us shine for him. Why did his face shine? Because of his speaking, not because of seeing the Lord's back, because he spent time with God listening to, or in our case, reading God's word, or maybe listening, if you prefer to listen to audio of the word of God. The effect of the Lord's words may cause some to keep their distance from you. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, the skin of his face shone, 
and they were afraid to come near him. Some may want to keep their distance. I mean, they might think you're a little strange. You know, I, I can recall, I used to go over when I would commute back and forth to work, I'd go over passages of Scripture that I, was memor- that I memorized. And this was before cell phone days. So it's not like I'm talking to someone on the cell phone. And clearly, talking is a little different than singing. But sometimes I'd be going over, and, and I, would say th- I would say it out loud so my ears would hear the Scripture that I memorized. And sometimes I'd glance because I'd realize there's a car alongside of me. And I'd turn and look, and there's somebody just staring at me like, who am I talking to? You know, there's nobody else in the car. You know, they'd be giving me this weird look. There's somebody who may not want to come near me. Probably thought I had lost my mind or something. Paul writes to the Corinthians about the spiritual man. The spiritual man discerns, evaluates, appraises all things, but he himself is discerned or evaluated or appraised by no one. The non-spiritual person does not understand what is going to make you tick. They don't understand why you live for God and Christ, why his word is so important to you. The effect of the Lord's words on you may cause some to keep their distance. Could be because you don't join in in telling the same jokes or even laughing at their jokes or doing the same things. And they may tend to exclude you. You know what Jesus Christ said? This is the judgment in John chapter 3. This is the judgment that... The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil does not hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Lest their deeds should be exposed. But everyone who does the truth comes to the light that their deeds may be manifested as having been worked by God. See, if you're excluded by those around you, because your face shines for Christ, because you're living in obedience to the words of the new covenant in Christ's blood, it's not you that's repelling them. It's the light of Christ shining out from you. Be aware some may exclude you. They may keep their distance from you. The effect of the Lord's words should cause you to to speak for him in any circumstances. And they were afraid to come near him. Moses still called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and he spoke to them. In any circumstance, try to get an audience, to hear God's words, especially with the unsafe, to hear the gospel. The effect of the Lord's words should cause you to speak to everyone, Afterward, all came near, and he commanded them. Them is all. He commanded all of them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him. Moses was a faithful messenger. He shared with all. You know, I've had people tell me, uh, you know, Paul, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. I really felt convicted that I should share the gospel, you know, with this person that I, that I encountered, and, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't. And I would say, why not? Well, you know, uh, and this is, this is actually true. Someone told me once, well, you know, he was part of a motorcycle gang. He looked really tough, big, tough guy, you know, tattoos all over the place. He's sporting his colors, you know, um, You know, he'd never get saved. And, I, and, I, and I, so I said to this person, I said, let me ask you a question. If God actually sent an angel or God himself spoke to you and told you if you shared the gospel with him, he would get saved, would you do it? 
And I still remember this person. Oh, yeah, I definitely would. He got all excited. He would have shared the gospel. And I said to him then, how do you know he wouldn't have? You don't know. You don't know. There's no way you can know. There's, you're judging a book by its cover. You don't know. There's maybe someone here who might fall into that category. I know I used to ride a motorcycle. I know I used to have long hair. I know I was not always sober. I know I was not always moral. I know there were people who looked at me and they didn't want their children hanging around me. I know there were parents who didn't want their daughters to date me. My wife would, would tell you t- today, you can ask her, if she ever brought me home to her parents, the way I looked before I was saved, they would have thrown me out of the house. I wasn't the baddest person. I wasn't the meanest by any means. But still, you don't know. The effect of the Lord's word should cause you to speak to everyone. And by speak, look, for some of us, it could be to share the gospel with our lips. For others, hand them a tract to read. Everyone here can probably hand someone a track. Don't judge the person by how they look. You know, I actually, uh, have you ever heard of the book, The Cross and the Switchblade? Okay, it's about a man, a leader of a Hispanic gang in New York City in the 1950s and a Pentecostal minister by the name of David Wilkerson went and preached the gospel there, and Nikki Cruz got saved as a result of it. I, I've met Nikki Cruz and spoken with Nikki Cruz one occasion when I was about 20 years old. You would never think that man would get saved. And yet, when he heard the gospel, he became a Christian and lived a life that influenced so many people, all because this shy Pentecostal minister went and preached the gospel to him. He didn't judge him by the cover. The effect of the Lord's words by you should not be hindered by anything. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. He didn't have the veil over his face while he was speaking. He let them see his face. If there's something about you and I that we can control that is hindering the gospel, the first thing that comes to mind is some hypocrisy in our Christian life. Living in a way, in some area, that a Christian shouldn't live. That's like speaking to them with a veil over our face. Moses didn't speak to them with the veil. He removed the veil. When we speak for Christ, nothing should hinder that. We need to deal with any hypocrisy, any sin in our life first, and then speak with them. And we should not use sin as the excuse for not speaking. Well, I still have sin. Well, I... Look, we're all going to have sin until the day the Lord takes us home to be with him. And then, as John says in 1 John chapter 3, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's more than just our body. That's our soul, our spirit. He will transform us into conformity with him by the exertion of the power which he has to subject all things unto himself, not just our body, but in 1 John 3, our soul, our spirit as well. Let nothing in your life hinder the sharing of the gospel with others. The effect of the Lord's words on you, not by you, but on you this time, 
should not be hindered by anything. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. He didn't keep the veil over his face when he went in to speak with the Lord. There should be nothing in your life and mine that hinders the experience with the Lord that we have when we, go, when we read his word, when we prayerfully ponder and pray his word back to him. There should not be a veil there. Paul makes mention of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul adds some new light that the Holy Spirit gave him to Exodus 34. Moses put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not see what was fading away. If Moses' face shot out beams of light, Moses being the old covenant, if the old covenant had this glory in it, a fading glory, but still a glory, how much more does the new covenant in Christ's blood have an unfading glory? Paul says, regarding the Jews, their minds were hardened until this day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. Why? Because that veil is only removed in Christ. God's glory is only seen in Christ. The old covenant, Hebrews tells us, could never take away sin. But Christ, through one offering for all time, has sanctified forever those who draw near to God through him. You remember that from when we preached on Hebrews. That veil is removed in Christ. A veil lies over their heart, but when a person turns from their sin and turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. If you're here this morning and you've never turned to Christ for salvation, trusted only in him and what he did on the cross, a veil lies over your heart. A veil veils your mind. Only in Christ is it taken away and you will behold his glory and God's glory clearly and you will then be able to shine for him. I, I urge you, turn to Christ and have the veil taken away. If you think the gospel of Jesus Christ is just some story, that Christ was just a good man who got it wrong and ended up being crucified, if you think he's nothing but a good moral teacher, then a veil lies over your mind, your heart. Jesus Christ himself, as we sang this morning, said, I am the way. If I were to translate that to bring out the full impact of the original Greek language that John wrote in, I would translate it this way. I myself am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus Christ said. If you don't believe that, a veil lies upon your heart. When you turn to him, he will take that veil away and you will behold him in his glory and he will shine through you. You will shine for him. The effect of the Lord's word should be shared with others. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, Moses shared with others what he had learned. You know, one of the most wonderful times of fellowship that I've had and others would testify to this as well, is you show up on a Sunday morning to gather together with the saints. And I learned this from one older brother. He's at home with the Lord now. But he would greet you and say, how are you doing, brother? Or how are you doing, sister? Oh, doing well. No complaints. Good, good, good. What 
did the Lord teach you this week? That's the question he would ask everybody. He wanted you to share what God taught you with him, and he would share what God had taught him that week from spending time in God's word. The effect of the Lord's words should be shared with others. And lastly, the effect of the Lord's words on us should be obvious to others. The sons of Israel would see that the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' Moses face shone. When you spend time in God's word, it should change you. That effect, that time should be noticed by others. His face literally shone. There should be some effect on us. It won't be these beams of light coming out from our face. You know, we, we talk about this, you know. Uh, you talk about a, a, a young lady who is pregnant. And she just glows, doesn't she? We, we know we, that this is a common way of talking about it. Did you ever think that God's word should make us shine in a way similar to that? It did with Moses. It can with you and I. Let me challenge you. Today, will you begin to recognize that you will not experience the Lord's glory in your life apart from his word? I hope this message, this passage brought that out very clearly. You won't experience the Lord's glory in your life apart from his word. Not as full as he wants you to. Don't settle for less. Make God's word much. Because when you make God's word much, you make much of God in Christ. Will you begin to pray daily that you would make your life shine through obedience through his word? Would you do that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for the power of your word. Oh, Lord, would you be pleased to make yourself glorious in our life through helping us to know and be obedient to your word. And we would give you all the praise and glory for doing so. We ask this for your name's sake. Amen.